Thanks for listening to Marketing B2B Tech, the podcast from Napier, where you can find out what really works in B2B marketing today. Welcome to Marketing B2B Technology, the podcast from Napier. Today, I'm joined by Will Hearn. Will is the sales director for EMEA and the rest of the world for Send in Blue. Welcome to the podcast, Will. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited to talk a little bit about Send in Blue and marketing automation. But before we do that, can you just tell me a little bit about your career journey and how you've got to be involved with Send in Blue? Yeah, sure. Probably to start with, as every salesperson says, I didn't plan to be in sales. I planned to be in marketing, which was a lucky twist of fate in the end. I'm now selling a marketing solution. In retrospect, if we look at it, I always had a bit of the sales um, mindset, trying to turn my weekly pocket money into, well, candies and donuts and so on to sell at the playground and end up with a lot of extra money at the end of the week. And so after that, small entrepreneurial background, helped my sister and my brother as they launched their companies and went to university, uh, studied marketing, really enjoyed it and thought, okay, this is the way forwards for me. And I joined a startup called OpenPlay in London, fantastic team. When I joined, they hired me to do PR and marketing. The thing is they made a seed round, I think it was like a hundred K and uh, we didn't have any clients. So there was a very low income stream. And after a couple of months of doing some PR and marketing, working a bit on the product design and development, we realized if we didn't sign some deals and get some clients, then this wasn't going to last long. So I started doing some sales just to help out. I like to say I was so good at marketing, they moved me to the sales team. But in the end, uh, I really enjoyed it, stayed with them for a while and had started to use Sending Blue in that experience. So then uh, my partner is from Paris. So I decided to move over to Paris. Sending Blue is headquartered in Paris. So I applied for a job with them and well, it was kind of right place, right time. So I had the chance to join as the first salesperson after our Series A in 2017. And we started building this sales team out of what had originally been a pure product-led growth journey. So here I joined them. We start focusing on customer goals and seeing where we can help really more on the small business side to start with. And we very quickly see that there's this inbound demand. Our tagline at the time was we help small businesses compete with enterprises. And we started having enterprises coming to us and saying, eh, it's quite a nice tool you have. Could it work for us? And so that's when we started exploring that topic. And that's a bit how I got where I am today. That's interesting. And you've actually been there five years, as you said. So, I mean, there must be something you, you love about the company. Is it the way the company's matured and developed? Because you've changed quite a lot from, you know, helping small businesses compete with enterprises. Yeah, exactly. I'd say there's probably three pillars of what I really like about Sunny Blue. The first one is the solution focus. It's what attracted me in the first place. I understood a bit the pain. I'd used some other tools, wanted to set up automations and follow-ups and so on. And I wasn't very convinced, let's say, by what I'd used. It was either way too complicated or way too simple. And so there's a solution focus from my side, but from the company as well, we've got a real ambition to continue growing. So for instance, we've acquired seven companies the last couple of years to really build on our feature and solution set to add really advanced capabilities around ingesting data, creating automations, um, delivering messages across multiple channels. And this in the end has been very fun because we have a lot of customers who come to us wanting to do exactly this. And it's very buzzwordy, but it really is what we're doing. And so there's a strong fit for me and for the market. The second part about the company, I'd say is culture. Another buzzwordy part. Everyone likes to use the word culture and the phrase I love, you know, do things at scale. Is what one person says and the next person says, do things that don't scale. Well, 
who knows what the answer is. But I'd say at Sending Blue, there's a strong culture that trickles down from the CEO about being humbly open and about having impact first. So we build tools that will have an impact for our customer. We approach how we work day to day and the sales team or the marketing team about, okay, what will have an impact on our business and our client's business. And this whole philosophy is very strong. And then, like you said, opportunity. The opportunity to be around some very smart people who are building a really nice tool to grow with the company. In the five years, the company's grown a lot. We were 80 when I joined and we're now 700, going on 800. So it's been quite a nice journey. And with that, there's also some personal opportunity that I'm in a startup that's growing fast, now scale up, a bit harder to make the definition. And we have a lot of customers with very interesting use cases and the opportunity to really help either enterprises on my side or also on the company side, small businesses really grow and become more agile. That's really interesting. I, I love the bit about culture, particularly. I, I'm interested because Sending Blue is French, which is, you know, France is not necessarily renowned as the, the center of uh, startups, although I know that there are some really good startups in France. But do you think the Frenchness impacts the culture? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, when I joined Sending Blue, it was definitely somewhat of a culture shock. So I'm South African, but I grew up in the UK. And uh, I remember when I was going to France, everyone said to me, ah, oh, the French, they're very different. But when I get here, to be honest, I think we're 70% the same. This is a little, uh, little bit of cooking skills that the French have, maybe. And in the end, in meetings, uh, some things are handled differently. But I'd say France is also undergoing a change in its structure. Macron and the government here is very focused on the startup environment. and has been since around 2016, which was a good timing for me again. And then I'd say Sending Blue was actually co-founded out of Paris and Noida. Our founder had been running an agency in Noida and kind of that's where his, let's say, pain point and realization came to create Sending Blue. So it was always quite an international company from the start. And I think we have nearly 14 nationalities in Sending Blue. Right? So it's quite a, a fun team. Well, that sounds awesome. So we've talked a lot about you and the, the culture, but maybe let's talk a little bit about the product. You know, Do you want to just explain very briefly what Sending Blue does and how you'd position it? Because you're obviously in quite a crowded market. Yes. No, it's a very crowded market. I remember when I first um, had been at Sending Blue maybe a year, I was speaking to somebody and they said, okay, well, effectively, you're an email and email's done. Okay, we're well, not just an email. An email is definitely not done. So probably the easiest way to explain us, the tagline I'd give us is a customer relationship stack. So what we do at the core is to help our customers access the data we see is most B2C and many B2B companies as well have huge amounts of data that they can't access or don't know how to leverage in a day-to-day -day way. So we help them access this data, activate it in segments and automations, and then deliver messages, whether it's email, SMS, WhatsApp, push, so on and so forth. But really this customer relationship stack for managing the conversion and the retention of customers. There's probably two parts of the business, which is where it gets more complicated. We have our classic uh, product-led growth stack for small businesses. So here you can buy a plan online, sign up, and you get access to much of the same feature set um, as an enterprise customer. But you just have to use it yourself, and there's help articles and a support team. But it's a you know, self-service solution. And then we have the enterprise side, which we have uh, some technical differences, a multi-account solution, and, um, let's say high scalability for message volume and so on. Uh, as well as custom success team for onboarding and training people and a dedicated customer support team for those enterprise clients. That's interesting. I, you know, and obviously one of the things you do is you cover 
both uh, business to business and, and consumer marketing. I'm intrigued to know, do you find a big difference between what your B2B customers want and uh, what's required for consumer marketing? Sure. I always have an interesting take on this. I think that it's it's a good definition, but not a great definition to say B2B and B2C. You know, if we took an ultra-luxury yachts sales cycle, I mean, technically that's B2C, but it acts very much like a B2B sales cycle at times. SaaS, often if we're talking about a low-ticket value SaaS, it'll act quite similar to an e-commerce, especially in how you market it and how you manage those flows of data and messaging. So I'm a bit reticent to always say B2B is like that or B2C is like this. I think that uh, there's a lot of crossover. What I do see quite heavily, and it's not always true, but I find it more true, is that B2B customers maybe are not as digitally mature in their channel usage and in the, let's say, growth hacks they're willing to take for building those relationships with their customers. So e-com has a list of definitions as long as you're on, uh, you know, LTV, CAC, RFM segmentation. If you ever go to an e-commerce agency talk, it's just acronyms. <laughs> uh, whereas on the B2B side, I feel often brands are missing that onboarding flow, product recommendation aspect. You know, even if you're giving white papers and documents, you can still do recommendations of the next white paper you should read based off your engagement. There's a lack of flows. Often email is the only channel used which although a great channel, it's a shame to only stick to that one. In the end, there's also legal differentiators, you know, uh, GDPR clearly, email block listing. If we're talking about email, there's different technical and legal challenges. So in short, I'm always a huge fan of looking at where you positioned as a B2B brand, looking across the aisle at a B2C band that might have a same kind of target market behavior. And what can we copy and steal from the B2C side, replicate for B2B brands. I love that. I think that's that's um, a really great way to position, you know, how B2B brands should be thinking. And actually just following on to that, I'm really interested because there are some things that consumer brands are using in much greater volume than B2B. So, you know, an example might be SMS or WhatsApp, where quite a lot of uh, consumer marketers are, you know, very active on those channels, but actually relatively few B2B companies. Do you think that B2B could gain a lot by using more of these channels? The short answer is yes. The long answer is um, you have to be careful how you use them. I think also on the B2C side, often brands use them without much thought into the real reason or tactic behind it. And that's a bit the double-edged sword for B2B brands. Yes, they should adopt them, but they really need to consider it. I mean, about a week ago, I was giving a talk at the e-commerce expo in Berlin. And I spent about 45 minutes after this chatting with a guy who's working at a very large German enterprise group who were really concerned, okay, how can they use WhatsApp in, in their funnels? And we were talking about, okay, like round tables, dinners, white papers. These are all things which you can create communities. Even in B2B, there's a lot of communities you can create. And WhatsApp is an amazing tool to manage a community. And glaring use cases could also be custom support, whether that's for a SaaS brand who really wants to have like ticketing done via WhatsApp, maybe. But also top tier accounts probably can benefit from managing delivery tracking. Depends on the goods you're selling on the B2B side or returns management, events and services industry for programmatic updates about, okay, uh, you know, you're, you're registered to be at this event tomorrow. Here's the location and the link to the Google Maps. These are all, let's say, experience wins you can have on the B2B side 
which are not used currently, but would have a big impact on loyalty retention. In the end, that's the same game for B2B. That's fascinating because I think, you know, a lot of B2B companies shy away from asking from, for a mobile number. And actually, more and more with people working remotely, the mobile number is much more important than just getting a switchboard number. But you're saying that by getting that mobile number and being able to engage on, you know, through SMS and through uh, WhatsApp, actually, you can make the, the right audience more loyal and more engaged by using those channels, which which I think some B2B marketers might actually feel a bit surprised about. They, t- they tend to, to shy away from what's seen as more personal data. Yes. Also, I mean, the definition of personal data is quite an interesting one. William at sendingblue.com is personal data in some aspect. So I think sometimes we create walls between data sets at the wrong point. Yes, as soon as you have a phone number, I'm I'm not at all advocating that you send everyone an SMS per day, uh, but we do have some clients who are sending annual re- uh, renewal reminders via SMS. And what they see is, in general, a really positive experience. You know, if my uh, contract is about to renew at the end of the month, I would prefer to be reminded about it. Some people are great at checking their inboxes. I wish everyone was. But a lot of people have an inbox which they only cherry pick what they're going to read. Whereas this one SMS a year can be quite a nice touch point. Obviously, it's a slippery slope, but if you pick the right messaging at the right moments, it can have a very positive impact. Yeah, that, that sounds like really good advice is right messaging, right moment. I love that. We're, we're actually recording this uh, podcast in March. I know it's going to go out um, a little bit later in the year, but you know the hype at the moment is all around AI and chat GPT. I, I've got to ask you the question, you know, are there any plans to incorporate ChatGPT and have AI-generated emails or messages within SendInBlue? Yes, because I'm a big fan of chat, and so I would like us to really push that topic. To be honest, the one use case we're testing right now is to use it in our chat functionality, so conversations, uh, to provide a summarizing feature, summarize this chat, and find action items. The way we see this is a lot for customer experience and care teams to be able to say, you know, have the long conversation chat. And then before they maybe elevate the discussion to a Jira or whatever their process is to summarize it, log it in the CRM, log it in whatever tool they need to, and also create those action items of, okay, I need to follow up with the prospect on or the client on ABC. So that's the first use case, but we actually have a, a couple of channels internally dedicated to just experiences we're having and ideas we have with ChatGBT. The opportunity is truly endless. And do you see us ending up in a situation where most of the marketing messages we get are um, from generative AI? Or do you think people are still going to be the ones who who deliver the best and most effective messages? Yeah. uh, Again, strong opinion on this. I'm dyslexic, so it writes better than I do. That's for sure. But um, no, I don't think you can replace humans. At least we're a long way away from it. I haven't seen it. Um, get there yet and the short thing is that it's about usage of generative ai as well you know you're the first people who are very early adopters um we get in there we play with it it's fantastic then you have a few let's say influencers or something to the b2c cycle here who will pass it over linkedin a lot of pure usage we're a bit in that phase for me right now where people are taking too many shortcuts just creating content with a few prompts on on the ui and the problem with ChatGPT, or, or what it's there to do, really, is that it generates the, the aggregate median, let's say, of information. So it's fantastic for research. It's fantastic for 
kind of unblocking writer's block on your content. But uh, I've already started to see some, some brands who are not doing it well. And you can kind of sense this is a little bit off the brand DNA and how it's written, the terminology. It's, it's not quite the same, which is quite normal. So I would say be careful with it, use it, uh, but use it as a way to build your story. You know, marketing is always about a story. You have a hero, a villain, and a journey that they're going through. Well, I'm not convinced that ChatGBT can build that story and paint that picture for you. It can give you some, some core chapters, some core outlines, but you have to color it in. You have to make the, the story pop for your brand. I like that. I mean, one of the other things um, I, you know, someone said to me actually earlier today was one of the great things ChatGPT does is it lets you know what you don't like. And you can get ChatGPT to produce, you know, a, a bunch of headlines and very quickly go, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And it really helps you focus down on, on where you want to be. So I think as a guide, AI is certainly working as a, a human replacement. It's, as you say, it, it's really quite a long way away. That being, to use the painter picture analogy, I do love the Dolly interface, but uh, you, know, mm -hmm. you can recreate a Monet in there, but it can't create the Monet for you. you know, that's the difference. The prompts are very important as well, and I think it's incredibly interesting to see how many versions you can go through in prompting to get something that's quite good. But even that, I mean, I've played with it quite a lot. I've never seen something which I've thought, yeah, it's exactly right for submission. I don't need to touch yeah. it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's definitely going to help us, but but hopefully not take our jobs in the next few years. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not minority report I, yet. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I'm interested to know. I mean, obviously working at Send in Blue, you must be exposed to some really good uh, campaigns. Do you have some examples of some really effective B two B campaigns you've seen run, and explain why you think they worked well? Yeah, quite a few. I think one I mentioned earlier was a very simple campaign, so it's really not amazing but the impact was huge love energy savings uk brand started sending their reminders via sms and i mean just the renewal rate the increased customer satisfaction rate and it's a very simple thing huge impact so it doesn't always have to be an elaborate campaign that takes six months to build sometimes it can just be as simple as would i enjoy getting this message would it improve the customer journey is it easy to do can we have that quick impact let's do a test and that's what they did there's another one which um, I quite like, uh, another UK brand. They do both B2B and B2C. So it was quite interesting because they quite instinctively started copying or translating their B2C automations into their B2B. So they're just starting to add WhatsApp and I think chat as well. So conversations as a whole as a way of dealing with their B2B partners in providing that B2C service. So they really have this second relationship they're integrating whatsapp for multi-channel communication and it's having a nice effect that's awesome i i mean it's interesting this uh people talk a lot about omni-channel but actually don't necessarily do it i think you know that the interesting thing you're saying is actually use those different channels and make sure you get to to people through the channel they prefer or through the most effective channel yeah exactly you know in the end i will engage on my professional email address because i'm paid to do that but if you want to really speak to me, a LinkedIn message or a WhatsApp is, is where I'm going to be very reactive. It's where you're going to catch me in the moments where I'm truly open to thinking. And it's also where I go when I have a problem to solve. You know, I, I get my phone out almost as a reflex. We have to be careful with legal opt-ins and, and all this jazz. It's very important as well. But uh, I do see a big shift towards mobile. B2B 
B2C is probably further ahead than B2B. But in the end, uh, you're always dealing with another human. We're all experiencing this shift in our personal lives when we engage with B2C brands. So I think we're starting to now expect it on the B2B side as well. I think that, that's really interesting, really good advice um, that people need to think about. I'm aware of your your time, and uh, you know we have a couple of questions we like to ask people um, generally. I mean, the first one is, what's the best bit of marketing advice you've ever been given? Probably just test, test, test. You can write the best campaign copy you want. If you're not delivering it in the right time, right place, and right channel, it, it doesn't resonate. So, whichever channel you're going to try and adopt, whichever methodology, test it um, as much as you can. These days, we have so many tools, so much data available to us. That, uh, you know, yes, perfect is the enemy of good, but that's not a good enough excuse to not uh, not test your messaging and your channel. That's great advice. I'm not sure I should ask this to someone who's moved from marketing to sales, but, you know, if a young person uh, came to you and was thinking of a career in marketing, what would you say to them? Would you recommend they did it? Yeah, tell them sales. No, sorry. Uh, what I would say for sure <laughs> is that uh, marketing is a very rewarding career. And I, I think the reason I enjoy being at Sun and Blue is that I still get to touch marketing quite a lot. So I'll probably always stay in the marketing field in some way. My advice for them would be do it, but get your hands wet as soon as you can. Marketing is a very broad field, and I think it's broader than you realize when you're young. You know, when you're young, you think of marketing as billboards or as TV ads, and those are very legitimate forms of marketing. But there's actually a lot more to it. There's the SEO, the BBC, the emails, the SMS, this whole journey orchestration that's also changing quite quickly over time so yes internships are great but what's even better can be to access a a tool that has a free version build your own website and start really trying to consider how are you engaging with the brands you're purchasing with even at a young age so my answer would be yes and there's nothing better than practicing it and I guess the, the obvious thing I've got to ask, if, if somebody wants to practice and is looking for a free tool or, you know, if maybe a professional marketer wants to experiment with SMS and WhatsApp as a channel, I, I mean, how do they uh, get to try Send in Blue and, and how much is it going to cost them? Sure. Uh, we do have a free version of the platform. No credit card needed, lifetime free. So you can for sure jump in, start using the interface, testing. We give it some free emails. SMS and WhatsApps are paid for. There's a price selector on the on the page. Um, but in general, you can jump in and start experiencing quite a lot of the interface just by yourself to see what we do. And if you want to really go in depth, um, there's a sales form. You can reach out, book a meeting with us or ping me a message. It's been amazing. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, I love uh, your thoughts about hitting people in the right channel at the right time. I'm, I'm sure lots of listeners would be interested in contacting you and finding out more. If people want some more information or have questions about what you've said, what's the best way to reach you? Sure. The best way is LinkedIn. I can also give my email address. It's will.hearn at sendingblue.com. In general, I too tend to be very phone oriented. So LinkedIn messages are the best way. But uh, feel free to reach me on either channel. That's fantastic, Will. I've really enjoyed this conversation and appreciate you being a guest. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing B2B Tech. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast application. If you'd like to know more, please visit our website at napierb2b.com 
or contact me directly on LinkedIn. Thank you.